0: Well, happy Father's Day. Good to see you guys here today. Uh, I want to begin with a story that happened to me when I was in my 20s. I am uh, in my 20s, I'm on my way to work, I'm driving my car, I am uh, in the midst of that rush hour time in the morning. Things are a little hectic. And uh, so what I do is I go down this kind of main road and I do the loop and I just take the on-ramp onto the expressway and that's when it happened. It quickly became apparent to me that the gas gauge did not lie. I was out of gas. So I began to do what any person who's out of gas does. I closed my car, I locked my door, and I began the trek to the gas station. In that season of my life, I was part of a uh, a group of guys who were, uh, I was being discipled in that season, and I was with a group of guys who were kind of challenging me in some, in real specific ways. And one of the ways was that they encouraged us all to be very specific in our prayer life. That when we would come before our Heavenly Father, that we would bring very specific prayers to our Heavenly Father. And so, in that moment, I asked, I just said, God, would you provide a friend for me who can help in this situation? It's rush hour, there's people going by all over the place, but it's hot, it's humid got a full day of work ahead of me. And so in that moment, I called upon God to provide for me in my need in that situation. A very specific prayer. Now, if I'm going to be completely honest, in that moment, it felt a little strange. It felt strange because I kind of examine what's going on in our world. And then I think, well, wait a second, am I being like selfish and trivial to pray about something as basic as Friend to help me in my need when I ran out of gas? It seemed kind of trivial. And honestly, I had a hard time believing what happened next. Within just a moment, this middle aged guy who actually happened to be in my men's group pulls up next to me and he just says, Hey, do you always walk to work? <laughs> clearly no. And, uh, and so he, he helped me out and we got the gas situation taken care of. But as I look back upon that time some 25 years later, I am still amazed that God provided for me in such tangible, significant way in that moment, answering my very specific prayer. Today, what we are going to be doing is we're going to be turning to the truth of God's Word and finding the truth behind that story. That story didn't just happen to me. It has happened to many of you, and I want us to see what the Word of God says about that, and specifically that we consider if God is providentially involved in the everyday aspect of providing for His people. That's the question. That's what we need to look at today and to consider. Now, that is a million-dollar question, and so we're going to turn to God's Word for an answer, but first, I'd invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we cry out to you today because we are a needy people. We are a people who have very specific needs and big needs. And so we come to you and we cry out to you, our Father. And we can do that because of Jesus, your Son. Because through the work that Jesus did on the cross and our belief in Christ, we have access to you. We can come to you with prayers that are huge and prayers that are very, very small and yet very specific. And you hear them and you answer them. They may not be in the ways that we would choose and yet you remain faithful. And so God, we thank you for that faithfulness. But God, I know in the life of our church, we've had many people who within the last 24, 48, 72 hours, last week or so have gone through some really, really difficult things. And so God, for those, my friends, my brothers and sisters, we pray, God, that you would minister to us in significant ways through your word today. Because God, your word is truth has everything we need to guide and lead us on the journey. So give us eyes to see this truth, we ask. Give us ears to hear this truth. And then help us in our unbelief to believe the truth of your word today. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, church, we are in a series called Family, Why Bother? You can see that behind me, and what we are doing is we are considering some sort of unique family dynamics that you see represented in the first families in the scriptures. Now, we're examining the story as uh, we work through the book. We began early in the book, and today we eventually get to Genesis chapter 24, and we're going to see how God works providentially in the lives of his people And I want to just mention that because as we read this story, it is my hope that you will not just think, hey, that's a nice story. That happened a long, long time ago. But what I would encourage you to do is listen to the truth that's found in the story and see if it's not true for God's people today, for you today. So let's begin our journey. We're gonna. In, I'm gonna invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 24. You're gonna find that on page 17 in our ESV Bible. And uh, if you'd like to, don't have a Bible, we do have those for you in in the corners of our uh, worship center here or down the hall. Please take one as our gift to you. And um, now, as you're turning there, chapter 24 of uh, Genesis, I want to sort of take you back and remind you of what we looked at last week. You'll remember that we uh, turned to Genesis chapter 12 and the. Story Centered on two people, Abram and Sarai. Now, fast forward five chapters, Genesis chapter 17, their names get changed to the more familiar names that we are used to Abraham and Sarah. Now, fast forward to our text today, you get to Genesis chapter 24, and as you reach our text today, Abraham is now old. He's an old man. His health is failing, and his bride, Sarah, has passed away. So with that as our backdrop, let's look at our text and read together Genesis 24. We'll pick it up at verse 2. It says, And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, he says, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but that you will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, "'Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. "'Must I take your son back to the land from which you came?' Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. We're going to pause. You see, God has made a promise to Abraham. It's a promise of a blessing. It's a promise of land. And what we see in these verses, verses 2 through 6, is that this very old man is remembering the promise He's remembering the promise. And as he remembers, what we hear is a father's desire to lead his family in such a way that that promise gets fulfilled. That the promise of God is, in fact, fulfilled. And the truth is, Abraham is like every dad that I know. He desires that his son marry the right girl, she may be beautiful. She may be of strong character, she may be of the deepest faith, she may be all of those things and more, and yet what matters most to Christ-following fathers, what we want for our sons is for them to marry a young lady who helps them fulfill the call of God on their life and to do it together. And that's exactly what we see from Abraham. That is what we see Abraham going through in this moment in those early verses of our text. He knows and understands that God has a unique plan for his family and for his offspring. And so it is absolutely critical that he find the right girl to help him fulfill those promises. So Abraham meets with his servant and he encourages him. He says, I want you to go and I want you to find the right lady for my son Isaac. She's got to be from the homeland. Now the question is, why is this important? I mean, as we read this text, why is that so important? Because Abraham knew that God's plan was to bless the entire world through his family. What does that mean? He's going to bless the entire world through this woman. Remember what he said in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred. This is why he is not in his country. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to show you where you are to go. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This is what God is covenanting with Abram. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. So Abraham gives his servant very specific details. She must be a woman from our homeland. Isaac must not leave to go get her. Both of those things matter to Abram because they modeled trust. In God's promises. That's what we see right here. This is the first of three actions that you and I are called to practice when we believe that God is providentially at work in our lives, when we trust the promises of God. That means you, that means me, when believers trust in the promises of God. Let's look at verse 7 to see exactly what I mean. It says, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from land of my kindred, he's acknowledging who that is, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send an angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. This is a powerful passage because of what's gone on earlier in the book of Genesis. The first words that we hear from Abrams from chapter 15, and he says, God, you have given me no offspring. In that kind of statement, there is doubt. In that kind of statement, there is somewhat of a lack of faith. And yet right here in chapter 24, the final words of Abraham Abraham recorded in Scripture, we see a profound growth from that point to this point. He's become a man who trusts and believes in the promises of God. What you don't see in that first part, you do see in this text. He believes in the promises of God. You no know, promises let's just get real with each other for a moment that's one of those words that can be tough for a lot of people here this morning promises maybe you've been let down by a father or a grandfather or a male figure in your life who you thought was one who would keep his promise and in this moment did not let me just stand before you today and say i am sorry I am sorry that that is your experience. I am sorry for the pain that you've had to endure because of broken promises. Sadly, our world is a land filled with broken promises. I'm just going to highlight two groups here for a second. There are politicians and there are preachers. And those are people who oftentimes, if you're watching the news, have this carnage of broken promises behind them. I don't need to highlight who they are, but I do want to be honest. In recent weeks, if you have been watching the news, or at least the Christian side of the news, the church news, one prominent denomination acknowledged that they'd handled sexual abuse cases in their churches wrong, and they'd done so for years. That should not be. That's a broken promise by pastoral leadership, and that is a tangible sign for you and me today when we consider a broken promise. It happens in our world, in politics, and it happens in the church, and inside the church it should not be, but what are we to do with it? I mean, I'm guessing that at every level, at some point in our lives, we have experienced someone who told us one thing and did another, who broke a promise to us. What are we to do in the midst of our brokenness? There is one place and one place alone that you and I can run. We can run to Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the one who does not break his promise. Jesus. When we come to him with our pain, when we come to him with our frustration, even when we come to him with the anger that is built up in our hearts, when we bring it to him, he is the one who keeps his promises. For all who repent of sin and believe in the gospel, listen to what it says in John's gospel, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God because of what Jesus did on the cross fulfilling what he told his disciples he would do now to be clear that isn't necessarily a promise they didn't fully understand what was going on when he's in the last supper and he's explaining to them what is about to happen they don't understand and yet what we see at the end of the story is that he fulfilled what he said he was going to do we can trust in Christ Because he keeps his promises. And you and I, as recipients, as believers, we receive his love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness and all of that. And those are tangible ways that we experience the promises of our God. Do you trust in the one who keeps his promise? Now, let's continue on in our story in Genesis chapter 24 to learn what happens next with the second person in our story. We're going to learn what Abraham's servant experiences in verses 11 through 14. It says, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening. And the time, that was the time when women go out to draw water. And I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So there's camels, there's kneeling, there's a spring, there's a well, there's all kinds of stuff going on. What is actually going on here? I want to point your attention to the very specific prayer that the servant asks in this moment. Church, what we just read is exactly what it seems. We see a servant who is trusting in God in this moment. We hear a servant crying out to him for him to answer a very specific prayer. And then we listen in on a servant who is seeking to experience the faithfulness of God in his provision. That's what we see going on here. And you see, the servant responded to what Abraham had given him as a directive earlier in our text by using the resources he had, the camel, and by relying upon God and his provision. Church, this is the second action that we practice when we believe that God is, in fact, providentially at work in our lives when we seek the provision of God. When you and I come to him and we seek his provision. See what the faithful servant models for us is not only biblically important, it is actually practically helpful for you and me today. As we come to this text, as we read this text, I want you to know that this matters. And here's why. So often, people will say about the Bible, well, you know what? It's dated. The stories are old. We don't live in that culture any longer. It doesn't apply to my life. Well, the servant's actions show us the exact opposite it's a real life scenario. He's crying out to God. He's trusting God, and he's pursuing God for his provision. And here's what the servant didn't do. He didn't sit back and just say, God, give me some miraculous sign. He didn't do that. He didn't sit back and just kind of wait on the side, kick up his heels, and say, well, I guess the Lord's going to do something. Instead, the servant put himself in a position to see God answer his very specific prayer. He puts himself in that position and that is exactly what God did. God answered his servant's prayer. Look at verse 15. It says, before he had finished speaking, before he's even done uttering it, behold, Rebecca, she came out with her water and her jar on her shoulder. What's so amazing about this scene is what happens because she offers water to the servant's camel. I want to remind you of something. This is the exact thing that the servant prayed for. He said, that will be a means by which I will know that she is the right woman. You see, offering water to a camel in this, in this scenario, in this time frame, was kind of a big deal. Let me paint for you the picture of how big a deal. 25 gallons of water were needed in that moment to actually fulfill the thirst of a camel. 25 gallons. That is a draw, and a draw, and a draw, and a draw from the well. Here's what one Bible scholar says it said that would have filled one and a half to two sweaty hours of labor. Two hours this woman is going to be dropping the bucket in and pulling water for the well to feed this camel. Church, there's no special biblical insight that I can offer you from this text other than the reality of a God who has provided for a faithful servant. The servant comes in prayer humbly with a very specific request, and God honors that and provides. So, church, I hope today that as you're hearing this text, as you're reading this text, this gives you some measure of encouragement for your journey, not some sort of superficial moment of happiness like, Yay, that happened. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness can happen in just a second and be gone 5 seconds later. What we're talking about here is a deep sense that God cares for his people and that he provides. But the truth is this is this is really only a source of encouragement for us when We are people who practice a few specific things. First, that we know that this is true of our God. We have to know who God is. We have to know his character and understand his character and why it matters. And then we have to believe this is true about God. But we also need to be people who actually seek the provisions of God have to ask. We have to believe that it's true. We have to trust in him. And then we have to seek it. We have to desire it. We have to come to him and ask. And so we do this through believing and expectant prayer. I'm going to highlight that one more time. We do this through believing and expectant prayer. Now, I want to be very clear how I say this. I want everybody to understand this very clearly. Here's what I didn't say. I did not say, whatever it is you want, go to God with your request, like some holy vending machine, put your request in, and then pull the lever, and press the button, and out comes what you want. That is not how God works, and that is not what I'm suggesting. Instead, what I want to encourage you with today is that you have faith necessary to bring your prayers and your concerns and your requests to God. To believe that God is capable of answering your prayer. He's capable. To believe, in fact, that God does hear your heartfelt request. He hears you and then to believe that God will provide for your needs. Church, when we pray like this, this is what it means to practice our faith. This is not just an abstract faith. This is what it means for you and I to practice our faith, and these are believing and expectant prayers, and that's what we are invited to do. Now, let's return to our story as Abraham's servant goes to the home of Rebekah and he is going to meet her brother, a guy by the name of Laban. And so, Ab- and so uh, the servant retells the story of what God has done and he asks for Rebecca's hand in marriage for Abraham's son Isaac this happens. The response of Rebecca's, Rebecca's brother and Rebecca's father who is now on the scene, you can find that on, uh, in verses 50 and 51. It says, "...the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken." So in this moment, both agree to the marriage. God's amazing providence could not be denied in this moment. It is happening. It is coming together in this moment. But this does leave us with a question. What about the girl? What about the lady? What about Rebecca? Skip down a few verses to verse 57. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca, and they said to her, will you go with this man? Her response was just three words. I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse. And Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca, and they said to her, our sister, may you become... Thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebecca and her young women arose and rode on camels, and they followed the men. Thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Three words, I will go. That reveals something pretty incredible to us in this moment. Rebecca shows all of us in what's happening in her life and it means that she is trusting in God. Period. Rebecca willingly said yes to leaving her father's house. She recognized the call of what God had made on Abraham's life and on the life of his family. That that is now her call. And so what she did was pretty obvious to us. In this moment, Rebecca obeyed the plan of God for her life. This reveals the third action that you and I are called to practice if we are to believe that God providentially is at work in our lives when we obey the plan of God. When you and I walk in obedience to the plan of God, you see, simple obedience is what is being asked and that's what is being modeled in our text. Let's go backwards just a second. Rebecca, we just said she's modeled obedience. She's modeled what God is calling her to do. Before that, we saw Abraham's servant come and do exactly what Abraham had asked. So he's modeling faithfulness. And before that, it was Abraham. He put into practice obedience to what God had given him in his word. All of these people trusted in God. All of these people sought God's provision. And all of these people obeyed the call. All of them. Now let me bring this story a little bit closer to home. Let me turn this from reading a story about a servant and Rebecca. Let me ask you, where is it in your life where God is calling you to obey? Where is it in your life Could it be in your spiritual life where you've really struggled with being open and honest before God in your prayer life and God is saying, I want you to be obedient. I want you to come to me. Bring your cares, bring your concerns. Pray, commune with me. Is that the area of obedience that God is asking of you? Maybe it's in your personal life where you'd say, you know what, I'm I'm in a situation, I'm in a relationship, I'm struggling with Purity don't know what that looks like to navigate that, and I need some help. I'm really struggling with this. But God in his word is calling you in this moment to be obedient, to walk in faithfulness. And perhaps it's a financial issue. You say, whoa, 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 pastor, I don't know about you if you know this, but the economy is very tight right now. Things are a lot harder now than they were a year, two years ago. And you're asking me to be obedient? I'm asking you to trust in the provisions of God. Even when the heart is waning, maybe right here in this moment through his word, God is asking you to trust him. To trust him. We've seen it in the life of Abraham. We've seen it in the life of his servant. We've seen it in the life of Rebecca. And what they have shown us is that God providentially works in our everyday lives. The question that each of us must wrestle with today and in the week ahead, will we live like it? Will we live like it? Will we trust Will we seek? Will we obey? Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org to introduce yourself to us today.